The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am about today's episode. And I have a feeling that a lot of you guys might not be excited about it. That's because you were born way too late to experience the radness that is my next guest. Okay, I'm not even going to say his name. Let's just go through some of his accolades. And let's see if you can figure it out in your car or wherever the hell you are who I'm about to have on the show. All right? He's uh, Canadian. He's bald. He was on SNL for a couple years. He's a fantastic musician. He's written some songs that you definitely know. Oh, by the way, he was the leading force of one of the most popular late-night television shows to ever air on network TV. He interviewed my fiance one time a couple years ago. And most recently, and this is the weird thing, that you guys are going to effing know him from a show called The Masked Singer, which on all accounts, is probably the lowest thing on his resume totem pole. By the way, he was the skeleton, and he was voted off before Halloween, which, what were the producers thinking? At least get him to Halloween, because it makes the most sense. But whatever. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? You probably don't. And that's messed up. His name is Paul Schaefer. That's right. He was the band leader and... Letterman's, like, right-hand guy for 30 f***ing years. He's so close with Lauren Michaels. He was one of the guys that created the Blues Brothers. And if you don't know what the Blues Brothers is, dude, go learn some stuff, all right? It's one of the most iconic movies of ours or any other generation. Another thing was is that way back in the beginning in Toronto, he did a little, a little thing called Godspell. And you know who he did that with? Eugene Levy, who you guys probably know from Schitt's Creek or American Pie, I guess. This guy's done freaking everything. And I wanted to do an origin story about him, but it looks like he came out of the womb 
kicking ass and taking names, which is all well and good. So you know what? Maybe his origin story is everything that happened leading up to the most recent thing, which is the mass Singer, which is bonkers that that's how I got him on the show, but it doesn't really matter. So seriously, sit back, relax, and enjoy, because this is going to be one of the coolest interviews you've heard, at least I hope it is, with a guy who's will forget more about entertainment and music and just being famous than anyone probably will ever learn. Quick break. When we come back, Paul freaking Schaefer is on the Wells cast. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I've interviewed a lot of people in my day. Um, I don't know if I've ever been more excited to hear this guy's story 
I guess you guys know him right now from being the skeleton on The Masked Singer, but he's done way much more than that. Uh, Enter to the Wells cast, Paul Schaefer. How are you, man? Wells, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be with you. I'm just terrific. How are you? Uh, I, I mean, I'm a little starstruck. I gotta oh, be honest yeah, get with get you. Get out of here! Come on. Okay, so nice just of you, though. just so you know, like the idea of this show is there's a lot of famous people out there. There's a lot of celebrities. A lot of really talented people, mm-hmm. and everyone kind of knows their story when they became famous, okay. um, when they became well known. But what's interesting to me is like, how the hell did you get there? Like, what happened between you know coming out of your mother to getting to the point where you got to be so well-known. So this is kind of an origin story podcast. All right. Um, But I want to start, before we get there, I want to start where we are right now. And you just got kicked off the mass Singer. Uh, Unceremoniously, I I might add, yes. And I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Uh, Um, Number one, how do you not keep the skeleton until at least Halloween? I'm telling you, really. They the merchandising they missed out on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, skeleton Paul Schaefer skeleton outfits. Oh well, um, I didn't think I was going to get to. I got farther than I thought I would actually, because it turns out that it's a real singing yeah. competition. <laughs> you know, with the masks and everything else, makes it a lot harder to try to do it. But really, the people, judges and and crowd, they were listening to your voice. You yeah, know? seeing if they can hear a good sound. They all thought you were Martin Short. Well, that was hilarious yeah. because he is one of my best friends. Yeah. We both come from Canada. Yeah. We both started out in the business together, as a matter yeah. of fact. And he called me up. He says, I think you're the skeleton. I said, I think you're the skeleton. Because <laughs> Ken Jong was was sure that it was him. And, he, and not only that, he said, I've studied Martin Short. I know this man. I, that's him or I'm going to retire from the business. Well, yeah. he and I are going to go into the used tire because he has to retire. <laughs> I've had friends who have been on that show, and then I have a friend actually who is a choreographer on the show. Oh. And so I learned, which is, it's just bonkers to me. Like, they keep you guys hidden from, like, everybody. People don't realize how seriously they take the security and, yeah. the, and the secrecy. Yes, they keep you away in your own trailer, and when you come out of that trailer, you got to have a hoodie yeah. And a mask, like a, a visor, like you're in uh, Men in Black. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't even have, you know, your wrist showing from under the gloves. They don't want to give anybody, even a guy on the crew, shouldn't get a hint, you know. Yeah. If you, uh, so um, that's interesting. And then you get into a room with the choreographer and the dancers. You're not even supposed to talk to them. Well, it, the choreographer you could talk to, but because he, he's signed a legal Agreement, I won't divulge who this is. You yeah. know? You're not supposed to really talk to the dancers. And they don't know who you are, you know. Then you got the big skeleton thing on your head. You're trying to rehearse and dance in that. It's all sort of impossible. And you're saying to yourself, who got me into this? And then you realize <laughs> it was just me. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, the one who said yes. Um, do you know, like, as someone who is a mass singer, do you know who the other mass singers are? Not at are? all. They make no. sure that you don't. That's part of the reason why they keep, you know, they keep you out of the studio until the first guy has done. Yeah. Sung his song, done done the interview, and he's gone. Then they bring you in. So you don't even hear the other people singing. Yeah. They do your their best to just isolate you. It's almost like sensory deprivation or yeah. something. You know, you're involved in the thing. And then even when I put my costume on, I'm in a big space helmet. So it was a little disconcerting for that reason, but it's all part of the fun. When you watch the show back, um, do you have theories on who is in those costumes? You know, they change. I had theories after doing after I saw that first show. Yeah. Um, 
And then after I saw it last night, I watched myself being on Mass. Yeah. I everybody, I was wrong. Well, I, obviously, I couldn't be right about it. Everybody yeah. sounded different. Yeah. And I didn't know who anybody was anymore. So I, I absolutely have no idea. Maybe and I I'm am not, Martin Short. I you don't know. Could, that's right. I, I, I may have been. I don't even know anymore. That's what they do. They do a mind trip on you, which is which is a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, you're also hosting um, a, a really cool show called Paul Schaefer Plus One. Um, yeah. I saw. And is is that just I get to hang out with my friends show? Well, I, I mean, I wish I could say that. I got people on there. Everybody kind of knows me a little bit. Yeah. As a matter of fact, most of my guests have played with me one way or the other. Uh, you know, and this is Joe Walsh and uh, Donald Fagan, Sammy Hagar, Smokey Robinson. Well, I can't say I'm, I'm friends with, I w- you know, I wish I got to hang out with them more. But I do talk them into coming on. And the hook of the show is uh, we, well, I'm interviewing them, but we have instruments. You know, I've got a keyboard there. And if like Joe Walsh had his guitar. And when he starts to talk about, you know, I wrote Life in the Fast Lane. It was really just an exercise for coordination on guitar. I said, well, play a little of it. You know, yeah. and then he's got his guitar right there. And by the time, before you know it, he's singing it and I'm playing behind. That's the idea of the thing. And I was doing it on uh, Sirius XM. I've been doing it for a while, our versions of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Axis has come along and they, they edit it down to the best half hours and they put them on Sunday nights at eight. So thank you for mentioning it. Paul Schiffer plus one. It's called. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at your Instagram account and you have videos of excerpts of the show. And I was like, Oh man, Billy Gibbons is on this. And uh, I know. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. This has got to be a dream job because I mean, it's a, it's like almost like a forced uh, hang sesh and jam sesh. It's a hang and a jam. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And the other thing is there's no band. You know, these people come on with, without their band, and there's no tracks, and we don't have background vocals on. It's just the guy, what Billy Gibbons really sounds like playing and singing. You really get to hear it. I think that's unusual. Yeah. Uh, often these people, you know, they don't want you to hear them without the computers and the studio tricks and stuff. This is just what you see is what you get, and everybody has just been amazing the, musically you know we talk about things yeah but when they finally get to let's sing a little of it oh man there they are like this yeah. far away from me is like i am with you terrific so cool uh when can people watch that this is on syria uh, there sorry this is on axis tv sunday nights at eight very cool and then i think they rebroadcast it uh wednesday at eight yeah um i got paul schaefer uh in the studio right now i'm just a huge fan of yours i mean before you came in, I kind of did this like long lead into like all like to basically going over your resume, which is bonkers, by the way. And it's got to be seventeen pages long. Well, I'm an old, long. old, old man who has <laughs> been around forever. And yeah, I've had an awful lot of wonderful experiences. I just feel blessed to tell you the truth. It's been so great. So let's just go back to the, the kind of the beginning, like okay. before SNL, before yeah. Letterman, all that stuff. Um, you're from Canada, correct? From Canada, correct. And just tell me about growing up, where you came Grew from. Grew up in a small town, born in Toronto, but but raised in a small town on the north shore of Lake Superior called Thunder Bay, Ontario. A very rugged, isolated town, which was based on um, uh, the Amethyst Mine that's there, the shipping grain on the, out through the Great Lakes, and pulp and paper, you know. And you had, my dad was a lawyer in this small town. Uh, you had to be very outdoorsy. You had to love sports. You had to love being rugged and camping, and I was none of that. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, didn't exactly fit in. I was a great skier, though. 
We used to ski in 30 below weather. Yeah. Come down once, frozen, full, <laughs> full face frozen, toes, we won't move, you know, got to go in one run at a time. Yeah. Um, and then I went to school in Toronto. I went to college there. Uh, and I got to like a, a real city, you know. Um, and when I graduated from college, which uh, it was in sociology, by the way, so I'm analyzing you as, as we sit here. As you should. Uh, but what can one do with sociology? You know, it's, a, it's what somebody takes when you don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. I realized while I was in college, I, I got to try music. I was too unhappy to do it any other way. So when I graduated, I stayed in Toronto. I was playing around, playing in bars, playing for bar mitzvahs, wedding, you know, whatever I could get. And then uh, a show, a New York show, called Godspell in the early 1970s. It was this Jesus rock musical called Godspell, a very cute show, and they came to Toronto to, to cast and, and put a company up there. And the composer, whose name is Stephen Schwartz, he has Wicked running on Broadway, I think the longest-running musical in history. Uh, this was his first show, though, and he heard me playing the piano at the auditions, and he hired me. And I was a bit, uh, all of a sudden conducting Godspell in Toronto. I had never done anything like that before, you know. And after I did it for him for a year up there, he said, I want you to come to New York yeah. and play on Broadway for me. And in 1974, I came to New York and played the magic show on Broadway, music by Stephen Schwartz. And then Saturday Night Live started in 75, and I was kind of, uh, then I was on TV. Okay, so hold on. Rewind the wheels real quick. Yeah. You don't get to just kind of like glaze oh, over all yeah, that, because okay. a lot of cool right. just break happened Break right me there. down. Go ahead. Um, okay, so what, and you, you came from this place where it was kind of um, everyone was, was rough and tumble and like sports and skiing and all that kind of stuff. How, how did you get into music? Did you play music early? Took, I took piano lessons. Yeah. My parents were the kind of parents who said, that kid is going to take lessons and he is going to be musical. Yeah. You know? And so, <laughs> so I did. And I was practicing my Chopin and my little Mozart etudes and then rock and roll hit the radio. You yeah. Know, this is how long ago it was. And when I heard uh, the sounds of uh, the Orlons and the Chiffons on there, Elvis, of course, the Four Seasons, this stuff, you know, this early rock just killed me. And I started, instead of practicing my panelists, and I started learning how to play these songs. Uh, ju- just like a kid in a garage band would, yeah. just learning by ear, you know. All the songs only had three chords anyway at the yeah. time. So I, I learned C, F, and G, and I could play every all the songs, you know. And that became my passion, playing by ear. Still too, too far-fetched to think I could be in show business as a, as a living. Canadians up north, you know, are you kidding? They don't, you know, they would never, well, what are you going to do when you get to New York? Eh? You're probably going to bomb me. That's all, they, you know, <laughs> that's all they say to me up there, you know. But when I went to college, um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. Show business too far-fetched. Maybe I'll be a lawyer or maybe, like my dad. That didn't seem, no, nah, I don't think so. Maybe I'll be, uh, you know, a... Maybe I'll be a professor. I didn't know. But all I knew was that I had to sleep all the time in college. Yeah. Exhausted. <laughs> I had a 9 o'clock class, Italian. And then by 10.30, I was back in bed. Sleep. Oh, it's just, I, you know, today they'd say, oh, he's got Epstein Bar. I was just sad. Yeah. I wasn't playing. And in second year, I started playing a little bit on the side. I cheered up right away. Yeah. I wasn't tired anymore. And that's when I said, I've got to try music, you know. So when I graduated from University of Toronto, I stayed in town. I just started playing in bands. In those days, they had bar bands, you know, mm-hmm. bands in the clubs, playing live music. Uh, I played everywhere I could. And then just by this fluke, I, you know, I got hired to do that show, Godspell. I was reading up on that Godspell. It was obviously before my time, but I saw that Eugene Levy was a yes. part of that production as well. As, mar- as well as Martin Short, 
as well as Andrea Martin, who still makes me laugh harder than anybody else. Yeah. Victor Garber, who was an alias in the, the Titanic. He was a, the lead in it. It was a hell of a... All these people, you know, all the most talented people who were around 22 at the time. Yeah. Everybody went out and auditioned, and that guy Schwartz, he picked through everybody and found the 10 really funny, talented people. I mean, everyone knows now Eugene Levy from, like, American Pie or yeah. from uh, Schitt's Creek is yeah. blowing up. Um, and it's it's obvious when you see it now, you're like, yeah, he's hilarious. He's so funny. Um but I wonder, like, in that moment, when you're 22 years old, probably drinking every night and, you know, burning the candle at both ends, did you realize the talent that was surrounded just in this, like, little production in, in Toronto? Well, I just graduated—I I gravitated to these people yeah. because they were so funny and entertaining, and they seemed to be having a better time than I was. And I said, I, I want to get in on that, you know, so— we all started hanging very heavily uh, right from the from the get go. Hanging out every night, just as you say, you know, yeah. having drinks. Sometimes Marty Short would put on a a cassette. This is how long ago? A cassette machine, and just put the microphone and say, "Let's just be funny." Yeah, and just see what happens. You know, <laughs> oh, Gilda Radner, God bless her. I've been. She was in that company too. Yeah, and then she got you know became a star on Saturday Night Live after that. Uh, but I was just infatuated with these people, and we were make we were laughing twenty four hours a day. But yet I thought, boy, when I you know if I ever get to New York, if L A, the States, man, that's going to be that's where the true talented people really are. But when I got here, I found out those people were. Yeah, you know, they were really something, and and now the U.S. has has recognized them too. They're all doing so well. Speaking of all that talent that you worked with in Toronto, then you move to New York and yeah. you start doing this sketch comedy show. Oh yes, called Saturday Night Live. Just take us through because like. There is nothing that I would want more than to be on Saturday Night Live. Of all the things that I've done, that seems like the coolest job in the world. And you were on the. I guess the f- front lines of it, the beginning of the whole thing. That's right. What was your thought? Was it just like, oh, this is another gig, this is another idea, this Laura Michaels guy yeah. might have something, or were you like, oh, this is going to be a thing? You know, I was used to long runs. Uh, that uh, Godspell in Toronto had done a year, and then this Broadway show was a year. I th- I was kind of used to it running. You know, I thought eh, this might run. I never, I didn't think it was going to run. What is it? Forty five years now. Yeah. But it was incredible, and Lauren came to town. Now Lauren's. Band leader was a guy named Howard Shore mm-hmm. uh, from Canada. He's a big film composer now. Uh, he and I had met and played together in Toronto. When he got to Toronto with Lauren to to put together a house band for Saturday Night Live, he called me up. I was doing Broadway, and that's how I got on the show. And I meet Lauren, who is a young guy, not you know just a little older than I am. I, I was by this point twenty five, so maybe he was I don't twenty seven, twenty eight. That's all he was, you know. And he had this idea. For a show that was going to be based on the kind of theater that was happening at the time. The Second City nightclub in Chicago was very big for improvisational comedy. Young kids improvising and with a kind of sense of humor we hadn't seen before, you know. So Lauren cast it from, a lot of people came from that Second City. And after Godspell in Toronto, we had our own Second City club too. An offshoot of of the Chicago nightclub. They can't. They found Gilda there. They found Eugene there. They had moved transitioned already from from Godspell to Second City, and so Lauren uh, had this concept, and he made it happen. And I don't know. You know, I watched him very carefully. He knew what he was doing, but yet he let a lot. He left a lot of things open. And you know, Chevy Chase came along. 
joined the show as a writer, I think. And uh, the next thing you know, he was a sensation. Doing the first guy to do weekend update, you yeah. know. Uh, what can I say? It really was very exciting. It was live. Going into the first show, I said, "How are we going to do this? What if I make a mistake on the piano? It's live. I mean, what's you know? Answer: It doesn't matter. There's going to be a lot of mistakes, and that became." Kind of part of the audience's enjoyment. You got to, they like the mistakes more even of than course. when it went, when it went smoothly. Yeah, when you break, that's yeah. when you get the biggest laughs, right? Well, that's right. And we weren't saying that back then. Yeah. Break. Now they say that. When, when you break, people break. Now, yeah. Break character is what I've learned it means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we used to say break up. Sometimes a guy would make me laugh in the middle of a scene. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, so, like, I mean, can you just tell us and, and everyone out there who was on the cast when you were, when you were at SNL? So I mentioned Chevy Chase. Yeah. Gilda Radner. Yeah. Uh, John Belushi, one of the first guys who I met when I came to New York, just through that uh, Second City crowd, you know, I got introduced to Belushi. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd was from Canada, too. Right. I knew him from Canada a little bit. Uh, Garrett Morris, I had never met before. Also, I, came, I think, came on as a writer first, and then Lorne made him a performer. And I think that was all the guys we had at the time. I don't think I'm a fan. And then the girls were Jane... Curtin and, and, and Gilda and uh, Lorraine Newman from right here in Los Angeles. Who was the funniest person? Who was the person that made you, I guess, break up? Well, everybody was funny. Uh, certainly Chevy back then was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, we never saw anything so funny. Uh, but everybody had something. Aykroyd, you know, his own crazy uh, metalhead, uh, industrial uh, strength, uh, type of references that he had. He yeah. knew about space and he knew about factories and he, he, the type of sketches he wrote were, were, were bizarre. Belushi, of course, very talented, very driven, very focused. Uh, I could go on and on. Bill Murray was the first replacement. When Chevy left, yeah. Billy came in uh, as a cast member. Uh, he and I started working together right away on musical stuff. And then when he used to be Nick, the lounge singer, you know, oh, yeah. those are some of the stuff that we did together. <laughs> yeah. Um, Star Wars, exactly, <laughs> exactly. He said one of my hits because I, I helped him write. I helped him write a few of those lines. My line was, "Hey, how about that nutty Star Wars bar?" <laughs> well, thank you. I wrote that. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian Cocktail Maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds make mom's mother's day and all the 364 days that aren't mother's day with a bartesian cocktail maker at 50 dollars off visit b-a-r-t-e-s-i-a-n.com backslash mother now to get 50 dollars off the bartesian premium cocktail maker bartesian premium cocktails on demand i'm elia connie and this is family therapy my best hopes I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of Aykroyd and Belushi, um, this came to Chuck, our engineer, who was telling me about this. I had had no idea, but uh, he was saying that you had a hand in Blues Brothers stuff. Well, these guys, Aykroyd and Belushi, found each other, and they became fast friends. And they shared a love of music, and they had both been in rock bands when they were in high school. You know, Belushi is a drummer, I think. And Aykroyd is a harp player, even then, blues harp. He had a lot of uh, knowledge about blues. Belushi, especially when he was doing Animal House, he picked up a lot of blues from a guy named Curtis Salgado who was hanging out on the set. And the two of them decided, let's put on hats and shades and and take on characters like old blues players and become uh, the Blues Brothers. And they hired me. I was in the house band on SNL. Hired me to be musical director and put the band together. So it turned out they were so hot on this show, everybody wanted to play for them. Yeah, All these real, you know, legit... Blues and R&B musicians. So I, we, we had our pick. And we picked really an all-star blues and R&B review band featuring the great Matt Guitar Murphy who had played with James Cotton and all the greats out of Chicago. Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn from Booker T and the MGs who played with Otis Redding and a lot of the, you know, the original Soul Man they had played on. And then they said, you guys should redo Soul Man and with the Blues Brothers. And that's kind of how that came about, our first single. Uh, and it just, uh, the thing gelled and coalesced and, uh, we had our horn section from, uh, the SNL band with the addition of Tom Scott out here. Um, and, um, Steve Jordan on drums, a huge producer now. And it was like an all-star thing backing up these two comics really who rose to the occasion and showed that they could really put on a hell of a blues and R and B show. We've got a lot of younger, uh, listeners for this show. And if, uh, you don't know the names that he just uh, said. Rewind and go write them down and then look into that because uh, it'll change your Saturday night. I promise you that. Um, let's fast forward now. I can't. I remember running out of time and we are like halfway I through know, this we're thing. we're only halfway through. Jesus. Okay. Uh, the rest of the night became a big star. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so you leave SNL. Yeah. Is the next thing that happens um, the Letterman? Well, there were two years 
uh, in between. Okay. Uh, I, during SNL, I started. What I really want, always wanted to be as a kid, was a studio musician. Yeah. Kind of, and, and I started doing that. Uh, once I was on Saturday Night Live, I started getting calls to go and play on records, sessions, jingles, and stuff like that. And I played on a lot of uh, great uh, records at the time. Um, at, and then when SNL ended, I just spent two years really just doing that until the Letterman show came along and I got this call. Dave Letterman's getting a show. Come on in, meet him, and I, which I did, and uh, we just kind of hit it off, you know. And then the Letterman show started and, 82, and I was off of SNL by 80. This is yep. 19. These are the 1900s, all, <laughs> folks. Ancient history. Yeah. Before cell phones and all that. Yes. Um, then you do 30 years with Letterman. Is that right? That's right. Well, 33, actually. Wow. I think, you know, we used to come on after Johnny Carson. Yeah. He was the king, the original king of late night. We would follow him in the spot that uh, Seth Meyers has now. Yeah. And we did that for, I think, 12 years on NBC. And then moved over to CBS and moved into the 1130 spot. And that was another, God, I had 21 years or something, you know. So, yeah, 33. Every day, five days a week. What a, it was an amazing privilege. And a kind of, I mean, I don't want to say unprecedented, but you were the crutch that Letterman leaned on a lot, a lot during that show. Well, was that an in, intimidating thing to have to do or did you love it? You know, it came on very... Uh, gradually, uh, in those early meetings, I had one meeting with him and then another with him and his producer, and they kept asking the same thing. Are you the kind of guy that Dave could play off yeah. and uh, have fun with on the show uh, verbally? And I would say, yes, absolutely. Not really knowing what that meant, but, you know, yeah. when the show started, it was there was nothing like that built in, really. He, he, I was, he would introduce me and then just move on with the show couple of weeks went by and I said, I got to, you know, I got to say, next time he introduces me, I got to do something. Yeah. And I just start talking, you know, well, Dave, it's marvelous to be here. And whatever I said, he got a, a kick out of it. Yeah. And he said, yeah, do, do more of that, you know? So it's just a little at a time. And he was very encouraging. Anything I wanted to say, he would be very encouraging about it until, you know, I felt somehow he gave me the confidence to actually improvise with him and just, just talk with nothing planned. And I couldn't do it anywhere else either. I he gave me such feeling of confidence that I could do it with him. Yeah, I go on some other show and I just get tongue tied. Yeah, it's almost like his his comedy and his talent was contagious to you. Well, I think so, but also his just his confidence in me. Yeah, he seemed to have it. I don't know why, but he thought I would be a good guy to be. I became kind of a straight man. I get, but he would let me get my own laughs too yeah. sometimes. So it was a wonderful job. And then I got to play with a great band that I put together. With all of these wonderful artists, and it was really thirty-three years of a of a hell of a ride. He had so much confidence in you that you actually got to host a show a bunch of times, just a few times, maybe three, two or three times. I can barely remember now. Uh, one time he had to, he had a little heart, you know, he had a, 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 a bypass operation, and I was one of many hosts who did it. And then I did it the night his son was born too, and he was at the hospital and yeah. he didn't want to leave, you know, so. I did it that night for him at the last minute. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I thought my job as band leader was hard. There's nothing compared to his. <laughs> when I got in his chair and yeah. had to run the whole show, man, there's nothing like it. And you're, you're, you're doing it now. To well. be a sidekick or to be, a, you know, just a piano player, it's nothing. Yeah. When the whole show is on your shoulders, that's really something. And I saw what he was doing and had even more respect for him after that. 
since you were a part of such an iconic late night um, world, now that you kind of like look at the landscape today, uh, like what are your thoughts on on Seth or Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? You know what? I enjoy them all. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, you know, they're working to today's audience. Maybe they're even working to a younger audience than we. Yeah. You know, we. I thought when we came on with Letterman in 1982, it seemed to be college. We were playing to a college audience. You know, it's college and maybe even a little, you know, a few grades even younger. Yeah. Um, everybody's got something, though. Um, Colbert, you know, uh, uh, Kimmel, I could name them, you know, as you just did. Yeah. They, they they all got something, but it's a different era. And our show was then, and, and this is now, and we... You know, we went on almost forever. Uh, I don't, you know, but eventually you got to let somebody else have some of the fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad they all are now. And I watch them all. Do you miss it at all? Ah, uh, certainly, of course. First year was a real transaction, or I mean, a physical transformation. Uh, your body, my body felt different. You know, every day doing the show, every day being up for the show, and then not, there's no show. So, Took a good year, I would say, to kind of get used to it. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'm swinging, I'm having the time of my life, and I get to do all these other things, uh, you know, and I don't have to go into work every day, but I miss all the people, and and I miss working with Dave every day. That was a real privilege. You guys still close? You still- Yes, yes. Talk all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, he called me after the first Mass Singer show, mm-hmm. and he knew that I had signed, you know, because he's no fool. He knows you have to sign these uh, NDA and non-disclosure agreements. You can't tell anybody. You know, so he says, "Yeah, I know you. you don't, don't say anything." He says, "You don't have to because I know it's you. Yeah, I know <laughs> because of the walk." He said, "I recognize your walk." You know, yeah, he wasn't gonna miss anything. You know, I would have recognized him too. That's know? amazing. Yeah. Uh, Paul Schaefer on the Wells cast. This is, this has been one of the coolest conversations I've ever had. I mean, you've done so much. Is there anything that you thought you missed out on in your career? You know, I, I got to play with so many of my idols and I'm, I was always just a fan first. Yeah. And when I got to play with James Brown that first time, I mean, that was, I could have retired then. It was so exciting. And then all the different, through the years, Eric Clapton and Curtis Mayfield, I mean, you know, Robert Plant. Oh my God, the Honey Drippers was yeah. a great was a great experience. Uh, so I mean, you know, I missed Sinatra, and I didn't get to play for Elvis. But otherwise, I I did pretty damn good. So yeah. I got no regrets, and very I feel very much blessed and uh, very grateful for the for the wonderful time I've had, and, and still hey, here I am with you. Yeah. Well, I feel very blessed to just have you in the studio Thank right you. now. We're going to close out the show um, with a rapid fire question and answer, okay? Oh, all right. And because we wanted to know like more about like you coming up there, kind of about your childhood. And Let's stuff. go. First one, first job. First job, you know, I was always playing. Yeah. I never had to have a job outside of, uh, of music. And so I would say my first job was cocktail piano during the dinner hour at the Circle Inn uh, for your dining and dancing pleasure. First kiss. Ooh, uh, let's see. Um, maybe first girlfriend back in Thunder Bay, you yeah. know, probably. And uh, do I have to review it? I, I wanted another one. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that. First concert. Oh, uh, Liberace. Do you remember who that was? Yeah. He yeah. was a guy just, hello, he used to talk like this. And <laughs> he was a real character, but boy, could he play the piano. And he came to Thunder Bay. Not very many people came. Yeah. He was my first concert. The second was the Beach Boys. They also made their way up there. I have heard of them. Yeah. Weirdest habit you have. Weirdest habit. 
You know, I do this with my hands. I, I, I put them together and I, and I push the fingers together. Mm-hmm. And my manager said, don't do that when you're the skeleton. You'll give yourself away because yeah. people do it. And there, sure enough, there I was on camera. Except the skeleton <laughs> had big bony hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, I was doing that. That is a strange habit I have. I don't know why. Last one. You're alone for 24 hours. Uh, what do you do to make yourself happy? Well, is there a piano? I mean, you know, if there's any kind of instrument, I'm good. I'm golden. Yeah. Even if it's something I don't know how, an oboe, I would try to learn, you know. Otherwise, I think I would just close my eyes and think about all my favorite songs Yeah. Uh, by the Young Rascals uh, from the year 1967. Paul Schaefer, thank you so much for being on the show. This Beautiful. has been really, really cool. I had the time of my life to quote somebody. Uh, I've had a wonderful time talking to you and... Uh, Let's do it again. Yeah. All right. Paul Schaefer, the guy that's done, well, everything. Um, if you want to find out more about Paul, where should people go? Oh, I don't know. I've got a website. I don't even know what it's called. Perfect. And I'm on Instagram and on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Go find that. Okay. Thanks, buddy. All right. Beautiful. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.